0: Happy New Year and welcome to the first edition of The Pulse for 2015. And in this week's show, we're going to be both looking forward and looking back, taking stock of where 2014 has brought us. In part two, Lucy Lau from Médecins Sans Frontières and Mabel Ao of Amnesty International will be taking a more global approach, focusing on health and human rights issues. But first, with Chief Secretary Carrie Lam saying the government has prepared its report to Beijing on local sentiment and the Umbrella Movement, and with the Democrats not trusting it and having prepared their own report, we're turning to Hong Kong issues, freedoms, and political developments. And with us in the studio to do that are Dixon Singh of the Division of Social Science at the University of Science and Technology, and Martin Lee of the Democratic Party. Martin Lee, can I come to you first? Um, there's been a lot of talk about rule of law in the wake of the um, umbrella movement where do you think rule of law stands in Hong Kong at the moment
1: now on the rule of law it's so easy to mislead the public into saying well you guys occupy central you have committed some minor offenses but still minor offenses they are offenses and therefore you are not damaging the rule of law but this is not there's no damage to the rule of law because the rule of law means quite a lot of things, not just abide by the law. Now, we, who have been fighting for democracy for over 30 years, have been doing it always within the law, but not getting us anywhere. And this time, uh, Benny, Benetai came up with this idea of Occupy Central as a last resort, because he said, well, look, if you still don't give it to us, we can't wait forever and we'll sacrifice our freedom in order to get democracy for our next generations. But you,
0: you can't get around the, the fact that civil disobedience is what it says on the tin. Exactly.
1: So, but this is civil disobedience. And I mean, there are many, many examples of, of that. And when the government will deny you a basic right like democracy, which in fact Beijing promised to us uh, many years ago. And that has been delayed twice. And now we're not getting the real thing so but the rule of law has not been damaged when the organizers say okay we have organized a movement we are quite prepared to face the music arrest us and some of them uh, some of us actually give ourselves up all right and then we will uh, take whatever sentence the court sees fit to impose on us and every day of course there are offenses being committed but so long as Hong Kong provides courts to give fair trials to the arrested person and the defendants and with a mechanism of appeal and so on all fairly that rule of law is not damaged by people committing offences this is nonsense
0: Let uh, me ask Dixon Singh, I mean from your perspective do you think that the political environment in Hong Kong has in fact become more
2: difficult for the implementation of rule of law uh... definitely uh, No, post after post, that uh, there has been more severe political polarization among the Hong Kong people. Not only between the younger generation and the older generation, but also among the more educated versus less educated, uh, and those occupying a higher socioeconomic status and the lower socioeconomic status. In general, the more educated and the younger generation, they tend to be much more supportive for genuine democracy, uh, genuine rule of law instead of rule by law. Uh, human rights, uh, having less trust towards both Beijing and Hong Kong SL government, and they also tend to be more willing to back up civil disobedient acts. Uh, so the turbulence we saw in the last three months, uh, there's a small chance for it to wither entirely in the next few years. There's actually a real chance that sorry, uh, what
0: what what would wither?
2: The political tur- turbulence may even escalate further because. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. We can expect that Beijing would uh, e- would either give Hong Kong a pseudo democratic blueprint, or that blueprint was rejected. So, leaving Hong Kong, uh, you know, uh, in the status quo—that is, uh, we will suffer under a non-democratic structure. So, and um, then for many people who either cannot emigrate or who don't want to emigrate, uh, they will get increasingly frustrated. Uh, not, on, not only with the uh, non-democratic decision making, but also with all kinds of uh, bad governance resulting from that, you know. Uh, so I think the polarization turbulence may escalate. Well,
1: but the this polarization actually was engendered by the communists. I mean, Steve, so look back to before the handover and also after the handover. Um, there was complete consensus among all the political parties that there be democratic elections for the chief executive in 2007 (coughs) and the entire legislature in 2008. Jasper Zhang, then leader of the D.A.B., and Alan Lee, then leader of the Liberal Party, and I, as leader of the Democratic Party, we all agreed that come 2007, 2008, there will be democracy for the whole of Hong Kong. At that time, there wasn't a single voice saying that we are not ready. It's too early. But it's Beijing which postponed those elections. And it's Beijing, or the communists in Hong Kong, who engendered the division of our community. So there are now, whenever there's a a procession for democracy, there's also always a counter procession for it. I mean, we know a lot of them, sometimes at least, are paid money to oppose. So this division but to, in But Hong to be Kong, fair,
0: I mean, that also reflects the division in society, oh, does yes, it not? yes, yes.
1: But as I said, Hong Kong never had that division on democracy. It was engendered by Beijing.
0: But, but you seem to be suggesting that, 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 we, that things are going to escalate in a right. direction where indeed mm-hmm. there is some sort of breakdown of law and order.
2: Uh, well, the breakdown is not, uh, it's not still uh, as pervasive as those found in Thailand or in Taiwan before it became democratized uh, but, but so there's still always a chance if Beijing let's say if Beijing uh, tries to impose a new version of Article 23 on Hong Kong if Beijing tries to tighten further uh, Hong Kong's people's enjoyment of freedoms uh, these measures may provoke more people to take more radical measures to confront uh, and throwing Hong Kong into an even more turbulent stage and, and in particular for those who are more politically reformed, more educated people, younger generation, I think they agree exactly on what Martin said earlier. That is, uh, the NPC's model, the National People's Congress model, suggested on August 31st, did not have a real legal foundation. It actually contravened the, the basic law, the promises made in the basic law. That was the, that was the verdict arrived at by the uh, overwhelming number of constitutional experts invited by the Hong Kong New this March. That was the also more or less the verdict arrived at by the Hong Kong Bars Association when they met the uh, uh, you know the, the Beijing leader earlier uh, in September. They said that uh, the model of NPC has contravened uh, the the international covenant of civil and political rights. Okay, but
0: can I just stop you there because surely the whole point about the basic law is within the basic law it does leave interpretation right. to the NPC, True. so they can argue. Well, we've interpreted. End of story.
1: No, no, but they interpreted the Basic Law back in 2004 on the 6th of April, and they added two stages to the three-stage process before we could have democratic elections in Hong Kong. And the first stage, which was added, was simply a report from the Chief Executive recommending whether there be changes or no changes to the uh, Schedule One and Schedule Two Annex One and Annex Two of the Basic Law. That means uh, whether the Chief Executive should now be democratically elected. Uh, and LegCo. And stage two is for the standing committee. According to their own interpretation, what the standing committee ought to do when they are in receipt of the report is simply to agree or disagree. If they disagree, then nothing is done. If they agree, then we move on to the third stage, when the Hong Kong government would introduce a bill for LegCo. But (laughs) when they were dealing with the second stage, when the the, uh, chief executive report, they went beyond their powers given to themselves by their own interpretation and they actually set down limits as to how candidates to the next CE election in 2017 should come about so they wanted effectively Beijing wanted to screen out all uh, democratic candidates so they were wrong according in fact according to a a number of people uh, even some experts in, in China it's wrong and what is interesting is I have not heard a single person Actually, defending that to say this is not unconstitutional. All they say, including the Hong Kong government officials, is, "Well, once the Standing Committee has decided, they will not change. They they won't dare say. But what they did was cons- constitutional. What they did was in strict accordance with their own interpretation of the Basic Law."
0: Yes, but yeah, this, this th- is a matter of politics, isn't it? I mean, you.
1: This <laughs> is a matter of constitution.
0: Well, that's what you're (laughs) saying, but Mm.
2: I'm asking you the question. Is this not a matter of political reality? Uh, uh, Some uh, senior government officer in Hong Kong, they said that uh, the British government has no right to to say anything about whether uh, uh, the present constitutional arrangement has violated the John Declaration and things like that. Again, that is very weird, very absurd. Uh, Some constitutional experts have made it clear that this is an international treaty uh, treaty lodged in the United Nations, so British government has every right to complain to the United Nations if it thinks that China, Beijing has violated that. So there's so many uh, issues, political opinions raised by Beijing or pro-Beijing forces that have antagonized Hong Kong people and, and that did not seem to be well supported by by, you know, evidence and reasoning. And that is the issue.
1: And that's a big issue because um, assuming, ultimately, Beijing were to give us democracy, universal suffrage for the election of the chief executive in 2017. But if that is the only thing that Beijing would concede on, I don't see how this chief executive who is elected by the Hong Kong people, nominated by Hong Kong people, could actually preserve our core values. Because everything has seems to be changed. That, that is a problem. And I, I think just democracy for Hong Kong now does not give us does not enable the Beijing government to honor all its promises in the Joint Declaration or or enshrined in the basic law because they have already been interfering so much in the administration Mm. of Hong Kong.
0: That's a problem, unfortunately, which we still need to discuss because we've run out of time, but thank you both very much indeed. And we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. With continuing process for true universal suffrage, and with fears that another outbreak of chicken flu may be waiting in the wings, Hong Kong clearly has its own human rights and health issues. Worldwide though, in terms of health, it's the Ebola outbreak that's been causing concern, and in terms of human rights, 2014 saw protests in many nations against economic disparity, police violence, and state repression. So, what's 2015 likely to bring, and how can health and human rights be best defended globally? With us in the studio, uh, Lucy Lau, field worker with Medicine Sans Frontier, and Mabel Au, director of Amnesty International Hong Kong. Can I turn to you first? Mm -hmm. You've um, recently been, so to speak, in the heartland of of the uh, Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. Can you just paint us a picture what it's like to be there.
3: Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, where I worked, um, it was in a, in a place called Bow, and we were in a case referral centre, case management centre, we had about 100 beds, and I, have, I, I can tell you that at the time that I was there, um, there were a lot of um, cases that are coming, um, the ones that we can take, we take, um, the ones that we cannot, and we, uh, you know, we have to turn them away. And I mean, do. to put it
0: simply, was it mm. scary to be there?
3: It, it was scary. It was uh, frightening. Um, but for for myself and the people who work there and also the, the staff that I, I work with, I can see that they are really trying the best. I think they have accepted that it's something that we have to fight against. Um, and everybody's trying the best to do it.
0: At, and, I mean, we talk about this as being global fears of Ebola, but isn't the, the fact of the matter that this at least for the time being. It's almost entirely a West African problem.
3: Yes, yes, I, I, I have to say that. Um, in, in, the, in where they are now, in West, West African countries, um, the outbreak is uncontrollable and it's very difficult when there are cases because um, there is lack of facilities to actually isolate and treat patients. And as a consequence, then, you, you know, more people get infected because the infected people are not isolated. Do you see what I mean?
0: You know, we, we, we hear, and we have been hearing all year about Ebola, but some people say, by focusing on that one disease, mm-hmm. somehow you're taking away the required effort to look at other, in fact, more life-threatening mm. problems that, that are occurring elsewhere in, in the globe. What do you think of that?
3: Um, well, personally, I think Ebola is something that we have to take care of now. It's urgent. It's now. We have to do something about it now. Um, before it turns into something even worse. And, of course, we shouldn't really... I mean, it's not my my view that we should take resources away from other things, which, you know, conflict areas, um, you know, other deadly diseases, such as malaria, like you mentioned. Um, But Ebola is something that we should do something about now, now, before it's too late.
0: And is the problem lack of resources or or lack of medical knowledge? I'm just trying to understand... Mm where the real crisis lies?
3: Um, I wouldn't want to put a definitive answer to this but I, I would say that there's lack of resources um, of course when, when things like this happen in these kind of countries um, their governments themselves are not able to, to, to react quickly mm-hmm. um, with international aid then um, there are certainly more resources now coming in much better than in the beginning of the crisis but I would say that probably there is room for um, maybe m- better coordinating the resources because we're seeing a lot of gaps um, you know, in the treatment, in the health education, in you know, safely burying the bodies, you know, et cetera. And the, 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 there's room where we can improve in terms of coordinating these efforts.
0: Right, well, Mabel, can I just turn to you? A slight, slight shift of emphasis here. Um, where would you say, oh, sorry, what would you say about the, the past year in terms of it being a, a good or a bad year for human
4: rights? Well that's both good and bad. Uh, we have one like uh, the armed trade treaties that uh, Amnesty has been campaigning for 20 years that is really come into force on 24th of December t- uh, year 2014. So this is really a good news for us because for these problems has been there for a very long time. Uh, but, at the same time that we saw many you know uh, uh, human right, rights violations happening, and then we I just cannot forget Gaza and then the bombing is really outrageous and uh, oh, we, we we really concerned the both sides I just stop you yeah.
0: there I mean Gaza y- y- is arguably part of a war mm. in which all wars civilians yeah. very unfortunately do get killed do, do you class that as a human rights problem essentially
4: well there is human rights violations during the bombing on both sides. Because, uh, well, there is a very clear international uh, standard that even though you are in war, but then there should not be any bombing on civilians, uh, residents, and especially schools. So that is really catch our strong concern. And then we really feel very, um, you know, regret and also very shocked when we see all those schools were bombed. And, but of course, both sides also have responsibility to take. But when we come to responsibilities, that we always also saying that so the stronger sides should take a greater responsibility. So that is one of the things that in year two thousand fourteen we saw a very bad situation. Uh, but of course, uh, we also see good things happening, like uh, we saw. Uh, uh, Malala, that uh, she got this, uh, the Nobel this Peace is the Prize. This Pac- yeah. Pakistani
0: school girl. Yeah, and, yes.
4: and because she is so young and just a teenager, and then she has such a courage to, uh, to stand up uh, for all this and, and be very persistent, even though she was attacked and then she got recovered, and then she's still saying that she will not for, uh, give up for all these fights, fights to get um, for a good and public interest for uh, better education for the schoolgirls, uh, for the young girls in uh, many different countries like the deve- developing countries. So we saw that it is a good situation. Uh, but when we also see the uh, gay rights issues coming up and uh, we see some progress like uh, different countries have already get uh, like civil reu- uh, civil union for- Same-sex sex, yeah, uh, but we also see some countries still have this um, uh, influence by uh, different religions or tradition that uh, not really agree with the people have you know, can be together uh, when they are the same come from the same sex so this kind of situation is very. Um, uh, it's uh, I think that catch our you know uh, attention in the last year
0: and let 's just move a bit closer to home across the border into the mainland. I know Amnesty has quite serious concerns about what was happening in the past year
4: yeah, uh, because last year we witnessed that uh, uh, the uh, human rights defenders they uh, they were arrested and then they were detained. Especially that we are very concerned on the uh, like the human rights lawyer Pu Ji and and also the very prominent journalist Gao Yu, and then they they were arrested and then they detained for very long uh, imprisonment. But is actually, this
0: actually a worse year than than the previous year, for example?
4: It's it's worse in a way that because um, they when previously they, can, they still can do the uh, human rights uh, defending for like as a lawyer or as a journalist and then demand a, a more transparent government and also uh, they have they to defend for those people who are, you know, their rights were taken away by the states. So that's why um, it is very important, but then last year it is, um, our, I can say is a very bad year for the human rights defenders in China.
0: Thank you both very much indeed. We've just run out of time. Indeed, we're out of time for the whole programme. Remember, as always, you can track us down on View On Demand via Facebook's RTHK's The Pulse page, or indeed RTHK's own website. We'll end with congratulations to the team that created one of the Umbrella Movements' anthems, Hold Up Your Umbrella, which was just voted favourite song of the year at the Commercial Radio Hong Kong Awards. We'll see you at the same time next week. Goodbye.